0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Hey, Brad. Yes. Do you know how we fund the program Going Off Track?
2: I know exactly how we fund it. There's one source of income for us, and that is patreon.com slash goingofftrack, where our loving patrons give us money and we give them bonuses. Patreon? Stop making up words.
1: <laughs> it's a great place. We do a weekly Thursday night fireside chat. Brad takes all the embarrassing things I say in podcasts that he doesn't put into podcasts and puts it on the Patreon. Funny pictures of Brad in the 90s, usually naked or wearing a wristband. Please sign up. Brad, what's the address?
2: Patreon.com slash going (laughs) off track. Rolling, baby. Have you ever vomited on stage? No, unbelievably not.
1: Although like, yeah. it's
2: not unbelievable. I don't vomit a lot. <laughs> I had one time where I,
1: you know, it wasn't from drinking either. Actually, I think it was from being like a fat shit. Like I like ate something bad and drank too much something before I went on stage. And... I literally like puked on my arm, like thirty <laughs> seconds into the song. But dedicated drummer I am didn't didn't even miss a beat. Right? Didn't miss a beat. Yes. I just played with hot vomit on my uh. left on my left arm the whole time. Finished the song. I said, "Please give me a moment," and uh, and and continued on. Yeah, I'm glad that doesn't happen too often though, because it was gross. Hot vomit. Is that not vomit?
2: Is that a band? That's Could be these band. days.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's like a New York, New York seventies style, you know, like we're young but we shop at Trash and Vaudeville kind of band, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing.
2: Well, it's funny. What's we up? Ta- we're hot vomit. <laughs> we talked we were we talk in this podcast, we talk about uh the Pride Parade and like I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday who came through there the day after the parade was over and they talked about all the dried hot vomit on the street.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know how it works in New York City. It's like if there's a parade, everybody's <laughs> getting drunk in New York City. It's yeah. not like it's not like, you know like I've partied on fucking Puerto Rican Day parade before for just no reason. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just how it goes. You might as well. <laughs> you better get with it. I know. You know what I love that came up in this interview? Is bloodlet. Yeah. Uh, I could tell you like that. I do. They're one of these bands. I mean, if you're from my scene, like Bloodlet's not like a deep cut. You know, they they were on Victory Records. They were like one of the, you know, bigger, heavy, hardcore bands at the time. But I think it was kind of hard to delineate what was going on a little bit at that time. Everybody was doing different stuff and almost like paving the way for what, you know, newer hardcore was going to be. And I think we didn't realize just how, like, brutally good and dark bloodlet was like these really well-constructed songs and they like were one of the first bands who took that turn to like like uh Jesse was saying into real kind of broody stony you know metal stuff and I actually they were one of those bands that kind of felt just uh possessed a little. Right. And then I had one of the weirdest nights seeing that band because there was a few shows that got done in New Jersey. I even did one there at a place called The Daily Grind in Browns Mills, New Jersey, which was like South West New Jersey, straight Jersey Devil territory. It's oh, like wow. where the Jersey Devil is from.
2: They call it the Pine Barrens,
1: is that what it is? It is like straight right. piney shit. Yeah. Right. And uh went down to a show there, Bloodlet played, and it's this like wildly underattended show. There's probably like 25 people there in the middle of nowhere at this random coffee shop. And the whole vibe was just eerie because it was like, you're at a bloodlet show anyway. And then like, you're in this weird place. I kind of felt like the Jersey devil and like creepy <laughs> pine barren shit going on. And of course, part and parcel to the story within like 30 seconds of bloodlet playing, like this tiny pit breaks out and some cat just breaks his leg. Like, Larry broke his leg in, like, the middle of the... And it's not, oh like, some God. giant show where security is coming. There's just some kid screaming on the floor with <laughs> a broken leg. There's, like, 20 of us there, you know? Like, where... I'm like, is there even a hospital in this town? Like, like I don't even know what happens now. Just a very bizarre night. But uh, That's regardless, intense. people should go out there and see see Bloodlet. This yeah. actually led me to a question for you, because... I got in trouble in school for wearing a blood-led shirt. <laughs> and I was wondering, I have a couple that I got in trouble for. I was wondering if you ever got in trouble for
2: wearing a shirt at school. Which one was it? Do uh, you ever get nailed? Uh, I had a really psychotic teacher in middle school who like, was just sort of this possessed evil guy who fucking hated me. Mm. And I think I had like a wife beater. He used to give me shit for that. I don't know why he thought that was so weird, but I would wear wife beaters, and he would say that I was like wearing women's shirts or something. He was a real douche. <laughs> he would oh, not. He would not have made it into in, to, in today's world. That's yeah, a bizarre
1: thing to say to a yeah to a young student. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, I had long hair too, so
1: oh, called how me, progressive. <laughs> I only got in trouble a few times. I got in trouble for that bloodlet shirt just because someone was like, what is bloodlet? Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, my God, you're insane. (laughs) But then the funniest one was I had gone to see Rush for the second time with my mom. And we went to the uh, counterparts tour. And the shirt for the counterparts tour was like uh, a screw going into a bolt. You know, like (laughs) literally like just this really innocuous image. I had this Spanish teacher named Mrs. Cough, very dramatic woman. We were very close. Then we were very far apart by the end of the year. She used to say, Benny, I bend over backwards for you, baby. And you punch me in the heart. (laughs) Like this is my like eighth grade Spanish teacher saying shit like that. It was very (laughs) dramatic. And she took offense to this rush shirt saying there is a sexual innuendo (laughs) In the screw going into the bolt, <laughs> which I didn't even realize right. you know would would right. be a problem. So I, I remember I had to I got censored on that one. I think my mom was pretty pissed about
2: that. That's funny, dude. And
1: then a couple of years later, I was wearing my despair hoodie. You know, as we brought Scott Vogel in here a few months ago, and mm-hmm. and it said, "I hope you fucking drown in your pattern <laughs> life." <laughs> that was one of those ones yeah. I knew. I was like going into school trolling a little. I was like, "All right, uh, how long is this gonna take?" You know, it didn't take long. A couple <laughs> Couple classes. I was, and they they duct taped it. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, "Yo, I'm like, I don't have any other clothes. What do I come with? Change of clothes to school? Like, what do you want from me?" And they're like, "Well, here's duct tape." <laughs> they
2: literally like made me duct tape my sweatshirt. I don't know. I feel like public school. It's kind of anything goes. You got to really work hard to offend somebody, I think. But hmm. at least that's you know, I how know. I felt it was. Well, yeah, but you went to high school
1: in like '72. People, <laughs> <laughs> people weren't as offended about things. Summer of days. Love. Yeah, remember, I, w- <laughs> I went to high school in the late '90s. Things, things were different. You know, you guys were all just doing J's and Quaaludes and listening
2: to Steely Dan. Yeah, I don't. You know? Yeah, I don't even remember. I was, I guess, because yeah. I was there. You're doing <laughs> post Iraq war fallout, like I would you know, like to do is- a quaalude. I've never even like Quaaludes, that's one of those things they don't even make them anymore, right?
1: Oh, no, no. There's like six Quaaludes in storage somewhere that someone's <laughs> saving. That's why like if it shows up at any point in my life, like I have to take it. Oh, yeah. I would love yeah, to. It like, sounds like, like a blast taking Quaaludes. It's like seeing a unicorn. It's like, it's like, oh, there's a unicorn. Do you want to ride? Sure. <laughs> Hell yeah. Sure, I'll take a unicorn ride because this isn't going to happen very often. That's kind of the way I feel if a Quaalude ever turns up.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. Um,
1: yeah. Anyway, I don't want to, you know, some of my family is getting old enough to listen to podcasts and stuff, so I should probably should probably chill out on that Don't stuff. do drugs. Don't do drugs, everyone, especially Quaaludes, even though, I mean, they look like so much fun. Even Jesus. though they're unicorns. <laughs> well, let's uh, listen to this interview with Jesse. We yeah. didn't, you know, he's out here promoting the new Times of Grace record we didn't talk about it that much because (laughs) we're going off track (laughs) great conversation about a bunch of other stuff. So please get into it and enjoy.
2: What did I miss? What did I miss? He said he went out last night for the first time and, uh, it's weird, right?
0: Yeah. did the whole, did the whole not sleep in New York thing. And, and then, uh, yeah, it was great. It was really fun. Saw some old friends, saw a comedy show, went to a metal bar, watched some dancers. And then uh, the next day went to the East Village, went down to the old A7 and Niagara, saw the Joe Strummer mural and just kind of did the whole East Village thing and Trash and Vaudeville. So yeah, I'm, I'm like, the, the punk in me is very happy and the human in me is fulfilled. So I feel great, man. That's intense.
1: That's awesome. My, my wife did a good like six or seven years working at Trash and Vaudeville.
0: Oh, right on, dude. Yeah. The spirit is still alive, but man, it's definitely different without Jimmy, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, It's like like Metallica without James Hetfield or something, you know?
0: Yeah, but I'm still glad to see that shop open and the fact that they're supporting, you know, punks and young kids coming in and getting all fascinated and getting that bright-eyed look when they see bondage pants for the first time. I love that kind of shit.
1: Oh, me too.
0: The old New York is still a little bit alive through that kind of stuff, you know?
1: I think the freaks still got a safe place to go in New York, a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And then it, uh, the Pride Parade was that morning, so
2: uh-huh.
0: um, when I got out of the comedy show, we were just kind of weaving through uh, the West Village, and it just—it's so much fun. First of all, that that happens, and then to come out of this pandemic and see like a raging party for blocks and blocks and blocks. <laughs> it's weird. The freaks are still the freaks, geeks, and weirdos, and. Outcasts are still very comfortable and alive and well in New York City, and that warms my heart.
2: Oh, I think it's been increased a bit. I think the freaks are getting freakier, and the norms have abandoned the city for the fucking suburbs, dude.
0: <laughs> and I say good riddance, although I am one of the – I guess I, I I abandoned the city. I, I live up in the Catskills now. But
1: So, Jesse, yeah, I was asking – uh, what it took to like readjust and what, you, what you've had to do to deal with like the anxiety of getting back into social situations like that.
0: Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a super touchy feely. I'm the guy that'll hug you when I first meet you. I love people <laughs> The the closeness of is I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not, I don't know, maybe to a, um, a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe to a fault. I'm just not afraid of, I, I feel like we're in a good spot right now with everything. So I wasn't afraid of being near people. Cool. Uh, Just for me, it was the pace of that city when you've Mm -hmm. been away from it for that long. And look, I went down there during the pandemic to visit uh, certain people um, and I felt the energy just it was just a weird energy. And to go back into the city like I did, you know, the past two days and see that city alive again. And the Pride Parade had just finished and people were partying and happy and loud music everywhere the smell of stale beer and, you know, garbage in the air. And it was hot and it was, it was magical, dude. Let's be real. Awesome. And um, yeah, so I just adjusting to the anxiety is definitely a little tough because I was late to everything because traffic was bad again.
1: Right. So as yeah. much as
0: it causes me anxiety, it made me really happy. And as I was driving home back up here to Woodstock where I live, and my girlfriend, you know, fell asleep because we hadn't really slept. We kind of just went through the whole night and we're not those, we're, we're the people that enter in bed by 10.
1: Right, we don't, dr- yeah. we don't,
0: we really don't drink much during the week at all anymore. Like we're both pretty healthy. You know, she's a full on vegan. I'm, I'm like adjusting. I still eat a little bit of seafood, but like we're really healthy lifestyle type people now. Um, awesome. And to jump back into that city and then just to go wild, we went nuts, you know, doing shots and like stuff we haven't done in a long time. That's It awesome. was so much fun. It was so much fun. And I was as I was driving home and I actually put on the punk and disorderly comp that was one of the first punk comps I got when I was a kid.
1: Ah, yeah. You know, it's
0: got like the exploited on it and yeah. you know, GBH. I was listening to that on the way home as she was like sleeping in the in the car next to me and I couldn't stop smiling. I was like, New York is back. <laughs> oh, that's like,
1: so awesome.
0: We're on the other side of this, I feel like. And I could feel it. You can see it in people's faces and you can feel it. And yeah, that was I- magical for me.
1: I think you're right it was amazing around here how like two weeks ago i'm like oh shit i gotta add time to get everywhere again i kind of got used to no traffic
0: yeah and it was sort yeah. of like a totally. strange
1: upside to all this
0: yeah um, and it's funny like i got annoyed initially and i'm like fuck me for getting annoyed this is right? great yeah, <laughs> this
1: so, is great <laughs> it's so quick you could go back to it right
0: yeah yeah totally like you get in that because that city does that it you either sink or swim there and right. it's you know, going down there during the, the pandemic, that that wasn't there at all. It was sad. It was weird. People were just like, you know, you can't help it. You you don't want to get near anyone. You're like, oh, what's going on? Oh, it on? was
1: bizarre. The city was, I think I think New York City might, I mean, it's hard to, you know, maybe paint that picture to people not from around here, but there was something truly kind of like frightening and post-apocalyptic yes. about New York the last And year.
0: seeing empty streets, like I, yeah. I'll never forget that down in parts of the city where you, if you try to cross the street on a green light, you'd be careful. And that was like, dude, I was standing in the middle of the street like, whoa, whoa, yeah. this is nuts.
1: Yeah, like some 28 Days Later shit. You yes. You just wake up and it's all empty. And
0: that shit is now officially gone. I heard people swearing at each other, honking horns. Yeah. They, that's <laughs> sort of like, the thing that, that people sort of think is anger with New Yorkers is just, it's the norm. It's like- Oh
1: yeah, that's having fun. Yeah, yeah. just
0: don't be a dumbass. Like, know. Stupidity is not tolerated. You get in, you order your shit, get the fuck out of the way and get on your way. And if you order something to eat and you can't just walk, walk and eat, shut the fuck up, go. (laughs) It's funny. It's funny. But that is 100% back now. I've I've tried
1: to explain to people that in New York, because I've been in a car with people not from New York when you get in one of those. Yeah, and they're like um, shocked. (laughs) Well, one of those like uh, car standoffs. You know when oh, like yes, yes. two cars are trying to get in one lane, and you're each like, <laughs> "Fuck!" like half a centimeter away from each other. Neither of you are looking at each other. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> kind of just like this sort of like, "Yo, I see you. I see you. We're doing this." Yeah. And and it's like, but when you've been in traffic for like two and a half hours, and you've been doing it for like twenty straight years. This is a game.
0: Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not personal. No, you you go or you don't go. And if you don't go, you're an idiot. Or if you try to let me go, you're an idiot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually stopped because you know, up here, everyone is so polite. Like we stop for pedestrians. We wait every single crosswalk in Woodstock. You are going to wait. And that's the only traffic we have is people being polite. So right. like that that kicked in. I saw a bike courier doing his thing, and I was like, Oh, I'm gonna stop and let this guy go."
1: Oh, you probably got he, honked at. So he bad. He, <laughs>
0: he stopped. No, he stopped. Did the whole stand on my pedal thing and looked at me like, "What are you an asshole?" And he's like, "Why are you stopping for yeah, me, you idiot? For me. Drive." You just I'm navigating around. Yeah. yeah, I'm navigating around you, idiot. And I was like, "Oh my god,
1: I'm <laughs> that guy right now." Oh, that's so funny, man. So, how long you been up in uh in the Catskills?
0: Uh, just over two years now. Um. Yeah, I was just tired of Brooklyn. So tired of the the vibe, the energy. My mental health was suffering. I'd come home from tour to to just want to be quiet. And, you know, where I lived in Crown Heights was just so loud. Just car horns, you know, just everything that you know about the city. And the the apartment I was living in had paper wall, thin walls. And I'm paying like $2,300 a month for this small one-bed. It's just miserable, miserable shit. Just not worth it. Um, and I had been coming up to the Catskills for the greater part of 15 years to um, just find my solace, to recover from a tour, or just if I'm, I need to reconnect to nature. I'm one of those people. If I don't have nature in my life, I start to lose it. I need to go yeah. where there's no human and like just it. sit and listen to a river or the wind. So I made that decision of like the place I'm spending all this money on getting Airbnbs and doing this right. thing.
1: Yeah. Why am
0: I not just living there? Sure. So I made the move, and at the time, too, which was just serendipitous, um, my relationship of 18 years totally fell apart, and I I went through a very awkward, strange divorce days before loading the moving truck up that was essentially supposed to be for the two of us and uh, moving here, and that first week was a little tough, but for a long story short, it was a very necessary thing to happen. It was liberating for me to get away from a person who wasn't, meant for me. After 18 years, it was so obvious. We were just not, that wasn't going to happen anymore. And since then, since then I found a lot of peace. Like I am a completely different person. Wow. Wait, waking up and drawing the curtains and seeing deer grazing in the field and yeah. birds chirping and occasionally a bear or a fox. Um, I couldn't be happier. I love it up here.
1: Huh. It's interesting. Now what? it like, is it, you know, I, I I say this from a place where I I literally just did the same exact thing you're talking about. Um, now, like, did you have a relationship, uh, prior where you like, um, or did when you get up there is when you really started hiking and kind of connecting to the outdoors like that?
0: Oh no, I grew I grew up so I grew up in the city, a very I would say very poor to moderately poor family. We didn't do family vacations or anything like that. We did none of that. The only thing we would do, because my father um, was very much the ex-hippie uh, turned minister, which is a whole bunch of story and baggage wow, that uh, yeah. will unravel at some point on my pod, my personal podcast. I just interviewed my dad for my oh, podcast. Wow. So that was, he tells his story. So the one thing I got to say with him is like, as poor as we were, he always made a way to bring us to the mountains or to go yeah, camping. Cool. So every summer we would go, we lived in Rhode Island at the time. We would go up to the White Mountains. I grew up climbing, you know, the presidential range up there. And I, I fell in love with nature from the age of, I remember seeing my first like Milky Way at like four and a half, five years old. My first oh. memory of seeing a, a blanket of stars. And ever since then, sitting by a fire, stars, camping, rivers, like that's who I am. Right. So I already had all that. And actually the reason I moved to exactly where I moved to is because one of my favorite waterfalls, Catterskill Falls is 20 minutes from my house. My favorite um, rail trail where I love to ride my bicycle is 15 minutes away. So I'm basically in the mecca of all the things that I love. And my house is, the house I'm renting, I should say, is uh, about five hundred feet from a beautiful river that I can jump in and swim. Which after oh. this interview, I'm going straight over there in between ah. interviews to, to go jump in the river. I'm
2: so jealous. I'm sitting it's down so, here on it, that it, Lower East Side, sweating my balls Oh, off. dude, <laughs> it was it's hot
0: down there. I was just there. It's so hot. Sorry, jump into
2: Hudson, bro Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh. yeah,
2: Thank oh, yeah. you. Go cool over, off,
1: pal. <laughs> go
0: over to Tompkins Square Park and and, and jump some water on you. And, yeah, and get there.
1: a fountain.
2: Hey, yeah. fuck fuck a fountain. Fuck you, country okay? hippies. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's great though. But another thing that I will say is wonderful about living up here. And yes, I did say wonderful uh, yeah, is, is having my friends from the city come up here, which is happening right. um, for my birthday coming up next week. I've got my friends. We're all going to go tubing down the, uh Esopus park river yeah. here where you can park a car on right. one at the end of it and then drive the other car. And then you can float down the river for a good hour and a half or so. Love it. And we bring a little cooler with beers and just hang out and, and just coast down the river and the rapids get just enough to get you excited, but then you go through these calm patches. And that's like, people ask me what I want to do for my birthday. I'm like, nothing. That's what I yeah, want to do. Right. I want to sit in a tube. I want to hang with my friends. Then after that, we're going to light a fire and like grill out some veggie dogs and burgers or whatever. And like that's it. That's uh, that's all I want for my birthday because that's sounds, the shit. I, I sounds love Sounds like that you're shit.
1: living the life. Yeah. Love it,
0: dude. And yeah, that's the shit I used to do for vacation. Now it's part of my daily life.
1: <laughs> it's great. You yeah. think like, I wonder, you know, now that you're saying this, like, you know, of course, we're all, you know, products of our surroundings to a certain point, And, you know, our art is, you know, uh, influenced by our surroundings. Do you think, like, moving forward, there's a part of the Catskills and a part of this new life that's going to, like, kind of wind up in your music?
0: Oh, it already has. During the pandemic, I put out a Ambient EP nice. uh, called The Way Back Within. It's on Bandcamp for free. You pay what you can. Uh, and I made it specifically, it's meditative music. Uh, it's written to calm and soothe, and one song is actually intentionally made to fall asleep. And I fell asleep while writing it. No joke.
1: That's <laughs> <Well>, <laughs> effective.
0: Yeah, and it's all it's all directly influenced by nature um, and cool. the Catskill sound recordings from rivers over here. And uh, it even made its way into the New Times of Grace. There's definitely stuff that I wrote by the river here. The stuff I wrote deep in the woods and the imagery that you'll see as this album, like you know, starts to come out. It's it's all nature based and. Huh. It's even affected me. The you know I'm wearing more turquoise now. My hair is getting longer. Like it's totally <laughs> affecting every part of me. I'm totally becoming that sort of like it. it you can't help it. You can't help it. I and mean, each- I
1: saw one of your YouTube videos, and I'm like, between this like nice thick, you know, red flannel coat,
0: yeah, and the beanie, totally. and
1: your very yeah. soft, soothing voice, I'm like, Jesus, Jesse's like. You know, a couple years away from going like Rick Rubin style or something.
0: You know what? Yeah, I I think I'd be a little more kept because I'm like super OCD with my beard. I won't let <laughs> I won't let it get out to that proportion. Right, I, tr- right. I trim it, but yeah, man, I've been I've <laughs> I'm in a definitely more meditative spot. I, you know, I'll take moments where I go out and just sit still in nature, and it's definitely was always a part of me, but now it's definitely becoming a much bigger part of my personality. Right, and I'm I'm happy. Like I'm happier than I've ever been. And that's, that's the, definitely cool. the direction I'm going. Um and I it is gonna affect my music because I've been working on I've been working on solo stuff, which everybody says that. And I don't know if i ever see the light of day, but it's all piano <laughs> ballad driven kind of nature soundscape stuff. Cool. So I'm one hundred percent turning into that guy. Yes.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> In the context of something like, you know, I know like well, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. I mean, like I get the impression that sometimes uh the metal world could maybe be a little constricting. As as far as the way you'd like to present yourself and stuff like if the if this part of you, you know, became so prevalent that you couldn't get away from it and it started finding its way in kind of kill switch stuff. Is that something you think like that world would accept or is that something you need to like make a conscious effort to keep separate like in your, you know, make ambient music, make solo stuff and Mm -hmm. then kill switch has its own its own place.
0: Yeah, I mean, if it were up to me completely, yes, I would let that bleed in because I I listen to a ton of, like, pagan and Viking folky type stuff, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I love, 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 love that stuff, and it does seep its way into metal, you know, it does, there's a lot more accepting of sort of the the Viking-esque type stuff, which is definitely part of my heritage as well, and it made its way lyrically into Atonement, like, there's definitely some Saga-influenced stuff in there, but... I'm one of five guys and those other four guys drive the kill switch ship with a very steady, careful hand, Mm. making sure that our music kind of maintains the sound and style, which to me is definitely constrictive and definitely can be very frustrating. But the humility that I I try to carry with number one, I was out of this band for nine, 10 years. Right. And number two, I'm I'm one of the collective. So, you know, I have my way with melodies and my lyrics um, and that's, as much as I'm able to really push with the kill switch thing, but who knows, who knows where time will take us, but yeah, sure. I'm grateful for times of grace and I'm grateful for my ambient project. And I have a punk band called the weapon, which is like, you know, yeah, I heard
1: that stoked anarchist
0: <laughs> kind of punk rock. Yeah. So I need those things and I'm going to continue to do solo music. Even if it never sees the light of day, the fact I get to sit alone in my room and play piano and be sad and like you right. know, contemplate songs of the, the flight of the crow, like, you know, that type of stuff. (laughs) I need that, but I don't necessarily know if everyone needs to hear it unless it's good. So we'll see what happens. I think it's a fine balance of allowing yourself to be who you are and being cautious of your audience, you know?
1: Yeah, sure. That's what I was about to say. I think like, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to sit there and say that, you know, you need to stay true to an absolutely natural artistic process and what's really coming out of you. And there's obviously there's value to that, but like, you know, part of this is um I guess like for lack of a better word, a business. And no, like yeah, no, and absolutely. if you like go ahead and have legions of kill switch engage fans, you know, taking in like a Cat Stevens style song. Yeah. Could not could happen. be a problem. You know? Not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think Adam would be down with that?
0: Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, now, with Times of Grace, we could potentially right. pull it off, you know, which is the beauty of that band. It's diverse yeah. enough where that's acceptable. And um, yeah, I don't know, man. I think that's, it is a fine line between being completely free as an artist and then, the, you know, I want to continue to do this and make money. And you have to respect your audience and you do have to respect sort of the business side of it because it's not just you, it's your crew, right? It's the people that make money off it. And I have had some very humbling moments where I did stupid things and I, you know, I party too much and my voice wasn't good and I had to cancel a show. I had to have throat surgery. All these things have like made me realize I've got to be careful. It's not just me. Like right. stop being a selfish prick. Like this is a business and people do rely on the money they make from touring to pay their mortgage. And we saw that during the pandemic. I mean, we talk about like the the tour bus stopping and then our crew being like, well, fuck man, how do we pay the bills now? And we had to apply right. for a loan and we took care of our crew. But like, there's a real moment where you're like, this isn't just you asshole. Like you're an artist. Yeah. You want to be free. You want to express, but there's a humility that goes into like when you're in a career driven band. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to keep that going for everybody. So for it's sure. a very tricky thing but when everything's firing in the right cylinders and you're happy enough to like I don't want to say compromise but just realize that your artistic vision isn't the main driving force there's four other dudes that are like nah dude that's cheesy nah dude we're not going to do that Right. You just and if you just roll with it and you find your sort of I don't know co- compromise I guess is the word I'm looking for and
1: that's if it's okay right.
0: with you if you're comfortable it, it, it works and that's where kill switch is like they give me just enough to like okay yeah you can add these things and do that but Let's not get too crazy with this shit because it's kill switch.
1: Sure, sure. Well, I've been a drummer in bands for like twenty five years, so if you need any lessons in swallowing some shit, yeah, you yeah, know, like I yeah. got you, I got you.
0: Or, or yeah. lessons in how uh, another band member will mouth noises, dude. You. Can you just do the blah blah yeah. blah? I'm like,
1: oh, sure, yeah, that's a beat. That's just funny. Well, actually, speaking of which, now. I, you know, this has happened to me in the past, where I've had such like vivid dreams or memories at times that I thought it was real and it wasn't. Mm. So I'm not going to tell this story as gospel. I need you to confirm or deny it. But I remember seeing you at a show breaking down your drummer's kit. Yes, you did, right?
0: Yeah, I am I, uh, definitely. I, yeah. I always, I always pitch in. Um, you know, unless someone's talking to me and, uh, you know, after the set and they come right up after me, cause I've been in enough bands where like, you know, I was out of kill switch for long enough to do a bunch of bands and none of those bands saw any sort of like, um, real success where, you know, I had to be s- carried off into a press tent or like a right. bus. N- there was none of that. So if a fan came up to me right after the set, we would talk. And if not, I'm, I'm turning around and I'm, I'm playing the part of like, I'm not going to be that dick lead singer. That's like, Oh, I don't do that. Right. I would always help out, whether it was seamless or the empire shall fall. Um, yeah, I pitch in. I mean, I'm punk. I grew up a punk rocker. There's no rock stars in this shit. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, you know, with Killswitch, I'm fortunate enough. We have people that we pay to do it. Sure. When, as a matter of fact, when I first first went on tour with um, Killswitch, was filling in for four dates when Howard was unable to do them. Okay. the First time I ever went on a tour bus,
1: uh-huh.
2: and that first
0: day, uh, after the set. I, they were loading out and I would just finish toweling off and I went to go help with the loadout. Right. And, and I remember Josh was like, no, 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 no. What, this is why you pay these people. No, no, this is is different. You go have a beer and relax and hang out. Jesse, you
1: have people for this now. Yes. Yeah.
0: And I, I was legitimately, it was weird. It took me a few days and I would actually stand, I would stand at the end of the trailer with, with my beer, just like, Hey guys, like it was a good show. How you guys do it? And they're just like, dude, you don't need to do this. Just go right. fucking hang out.
2: It's fine.
1: <laughs> That's too funny, man. But I mean, I guess, yeah, I, I had the same thing. It took me um, a bunch of like embarrassing moments to finally back down and be like, all right, I'll take a drum tech. That's cool.
0: Yeah. Like, and then you realize you're just in the way because you're slow. Like, get the fuck out yeah. of like, these. I was watching those guys move, and they move. Our crew is like, they're badasses. I'm sure. Yeah. At, at one point, in those early days, it was like, dude, you're just slowing us down. Just go get out of the way.
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Cause I, um, I remember having that experience and I've definitely retold the story a number of times because you are literally the only one I've ever seen. I'm I'm being serious, like in a successful band, that's yeah. to the point where they have some crew and have people helping. You are literally the only singer I've ever seen break down a drum set. So Respect to you forever.
0: Well, for oh, thanks, man. It's it's my 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 punk rock upbringing. You know, it's funny too, man, because it even it it even ran so far as my punk rock guilt. As Killswitch initially asked me to rejoin prior to you know when I sort of went in for the rehearsals uh, and auditions, rather. Okay. And, and part of me not wanting to rejoin because it was my punk rock guilt. I'm like, I'm not going to sing somebody else's songs about heartache and.
1: Right, like shit, right. I
0: didn't write like this poser shit. No way. <laughs>
1: right, right. And I
0: remember going to my job in the bar and uh, the West Side when I, I was working as a bar back on the West Side of Manhattan. And then uh, the very next day after having that conversation, some kid comes in, orders a drink, and he's looking at him and he's like, "Do I know you?" He's like, "Dude, you're Jesse that used to be in Killswitch. What are you doing behind a bar? What, what are you doing, dude?" And I'm like, "Yeah, fuck my life." And I remember sitting there going. Do I just suck it up and like learn a few covers and and like rejoin this band, or do I sit here like continuing to clean spit out of people's glasses and like come on, man? And yeah. I had a real struggle with my punk rock uh-huh. guilt of like, am I being a sellout if I do this? And that's kind of sad and pathetic. But anyone who grew up in that scene, especially yeah. in you know in the in the early nineties, mid nineties, before the internet, like that was some shit. Like if you yeah, yeah you were on sellout material, if you were in a band that like played in front of 300 people and you did a promotion through Newberry comics or whatever, you were a fucking sellout.
1: You are done. <laughs> yeah. You were done. Canceled. And I, in my
0: thirties, it was when I finally just got rid of it. I'm like, punk rock isn't about giving a shit what people think. Period. Right. Yeah. 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 So funny how that just stuck with me though. I just,
1: no, that's a really powerful moment. Cause I can imagine it pretty vividly, you know, like, I mean, I, I almost go through this exercise for fun sometimes where You know, I live out away from the city now, too, just like you. And I'll, you know, be at a playground talking to some other parent or something. And they're like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm I'm a musician. And, like, literally, I'd say nine times out of ten, the first response is like, oh, you know, I'm friends with this guy, Greg, who, like, works the door at this place, this bar, like, downtown. It's really good. Like, I could probably hook you up.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you're like, you know, uh... Like, their initial thing is (laughs) always, like, you're, like
1: a piece of shit musician and you probably <laughs> yeah. need help. I'm like, I'm like, you know, I paid for that car. I drove my kids here. I'm like, <laughs> yes. in. like, yes, some respect. Dude, that but happens to
0: me all the time. It's so funny.
1: How do you play it off? I, I, ugh. you want keep just, it low or do you ever I, drop the bob?
0: I do drop the bomb sometimes. It depends. <laughs> I think it depends on how long I want to talk to that person. Right,
1: <laughs> so, right, right, right. So right.
0: sometimes I'll just be like, "Right on, man. Let me take down the information and like, cool, cool, <laughs> all right, cool, yeah." So and I'll switch the conversation. Like, tell me more about you.
1: Yeah, right. right. But
0: if I'm in a state where like, you know, state of mind where I'm like, oh, I'm going to be here for a while. This person seems cool. I'm like, yeah. Well, I kind of already do that all over the world. And like, what? Like, yeah, it. right. And I'll mention the name and. I love, love, love more than anything when I mention the name and there's just nothing. They're like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> and then when someone like goes, they start freaking out and then all of a sudden everyone at the bar or restaurant is like, and then they want pictures and then like, and some of those people want that shit and they kind of still don't know who you are. Right. It's right. just because they, just
1: they know you're someone. Somebody. Know. Yeah. And
0: to me, that my toes curl up. I'm like, this sucks. So I will tend to not talk about Oops! Excuse me. There's a burp. Um, I'll tend to not talk about it. I would rather be the guy that you think is a a low level musician struggling. Yeah. Because I'm I'm sure we'll have more in common to talk about than if exactly. you think I'm some kind of a rock star. Because I hate that shit. Uh huh. I, I I love that it it you know pays my bills and you know the people that I meet that are my fans are so sweet and I'm so grateful. But if I'm just around town, my friends here in Woodstock for the most part. Got to know me before that. I really withheld right. that information because I just wanted you to know who I am. Mm-hmm. I don't like when I walk into a place and all our all eyes are on me and they're like, hey, that's the guy. It's like fuck. I'm not I mean, I gotta be comfortable with it, but if I can help it, I'd rather not be that guy.
1: You dig on the garden cafe up there?
0: I am there probably Three to four times a week.
1: Fuck yeah. <laughs> that's my spot. I literally rock that t-shirt, like a kale-powered yes. t-shirt. <laughs> so
0: it's funny. Speaking of that place, yeah. um, I'm just a normal person there. Everyone that works there just knows me as Jesse, the guy that loves the tempeh BLT, you know, TLT. Like That's my, do my we, sandwich. Do
1: you have to even order or is it like one yeah, of those Yeah, no, deals? I do. I do because sometimes okay. I switch it
0: up. Okay. But the lady who runs that... Um, when this, you know, when things died down and 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 things opened up just this past week and a half, um, I do DJ on the side for fun. I love, you know, trip hop, EDM, reggae. So nice. I'll take gigs at local bars just to have fun and get a bar tab, a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. And my girlfriend's a performer; she she dances pole and aerial silks, and she's like a acrobat. Cool. So we pitched to one of our favorite bars over here called Early Terrible, um, to do a show. When this is all over, let's do a show. Like I oh, would always, yeah. I would always be on them. Like let me DJ, she'll dance. So long story short, a winery had an opening and we, I DJed, she danced and people from the town saw us in our element. Like I had face paint on, we, we, we dressed the part. She's absolutely insane. I played a bunch of crazy drum and bass and EDM and we got the party going, right? Yeah. So we're there uh, a couple days later at garden cafe and we walk in and we're sitting down the owner walks over and she just walks to our table and staring at us and she smiles (laughs) and she goes. I saw you guys a couple nights ago and oh my God, how, first of all, how do you do that dance? You guys are so badass. That was so cool. I had no idea. I can't believe you're our neighbors. This is awesome. You guys rock. This is amazing. And she was so excited and we've known her for like two years and the fact that like we withheld, we just know her because you know, I think it's good when you meet people and you have conversations, ask them about them. Don't be that guy that's like, well, I did this and I did that. People tend to like you a lot more if you just let them talk. That's right. And there's a psychology behind that. And I've always carried that with me. If I like people and I want them to be my friend, I'm very conscious of like, you talk about you. And that's when my good friends are like that. And you develop a different relationship. And there's
1: sort of like a sociological element too, right? Where it's almost, it's like, we can connect on your life. We can connect on the life here because we're like sharing it together. Yeah, but there's no way I can explain to you this other life without sounding like a fucking douchebag, right? Yes, yes, yes. It's impossible.
0: And then my my inclination in that situation is to complain about the things. Because that's what we do right, when we get together, right. right? You, oh, my boss, my job. So I'm like, yeah. Let me, oh, I got a and, middle seat yeah. on a,
1: an economy all <laughs> yeah. the way to France. <laughs> totally, they're like, you went dude. to France?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's 100% that shit. Yeah. And then people look at you like, fuck you. Don't yeah, complain like, to me just, about dance nah, shit. No, I just
1: went to work the whole time you were in France, right? Like, yeah. I've
0: been in those moments at a, at, you know, sharing a table with like six, seven people of my friends and everyone just kind of talking about their shit and, I've been caught in that moment where I'm complaining about something and the entire table is looking at me like, dude, really? Yeah, you, think, get a you, think, you think any of us are like, yeah, we can relate to what you just fucking said <laughs> right, to us?
1: Right, right. <laughs> like, sorry, the monitor guy was never bad for yeah. me in Geneva, okay? Yeah. Like, <laughs> asshole. Yeah. I know. That's I was stuck funny.
0: in his airport and I had to drink like four drinks, not two. And I like, got yeah. oh, the fight. I had the to
1: delight. pay $80 in yeah. scotch, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's fucking funny. Um, Well, I've asked a bunch of people this question because, you know, I'm I'm from the same time as you and grew up a hardcore kid and watched, you know, what, you know, old school hardcore turn into new school hardcore, turn yep. into what people think is metalcore, you know. Yep. And at this point, I have no fucking idea what, what any of it is. but uh, Agreed. The one thing that you're a unique part of that I've asked before is kind of this transition in hardcore from screaming to sing it yeah and like to you who were like the early pioneers of kind of bringing that like melodic element into hardcore and who did it the best and like where do you think it stands kind of now
0: yeah it's kind of all over the place because i you know again i'm very much a mutt i would say my first um inkling of wanting to do any of that on my own, came from uh, Faith No More's Angel Dust. Um, the album always yeah. stuck out to me of like, Mike Patton does whatever he wants. Does You don't have <laughs> sure to like, does. be aggressive over this aggressive part. You could do a weird Gregorian, Whoa! like. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, like, how do I incorporate some of that cool chanty stuff? So my first band that sort of like, made a CD, and, and we played shows, and you know, had like a somewhat of a contract in management was a band called Corinne. Right. And we played shows, you know, alongside like Overcast, Kenderia, Integrity, VOD, you know, and I started to bring the chanty sort of like monk esque thing into some of those songs. That's cool. And that came from that, but it also came from European melodic sort of death metal, like Edge of Sanity, Paradise Lost, um, My Dying Bride, where you had the growling and the singing or the female, ethereal voice with you know monster vocals Uh i loved all of that shit so Uh those are the early influences of me going like these guys are doing it this is really unique and when the melodic vocals kick in it gives you a different feeling yeah um so that as far as like outside influence there's that then you have the bad brains which brought melody and in like a weird crazy sure uh, the only way i could describe hr is just i mean he's just like a weird shaman you know i i His (laughs) his <laughs> vocals were always baffling to me.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: cr- Chromags, there's just a little bit of melody in there. It's yelling, but it's got this melodic feel to it.
1: Yeah, the scream has some melody, yeah. Yeah,
0: so those are definitely as far as hardcore goes, my early influences, then you had Ignite. I think Ignite was the first mm-hmm. band where I was like, wow, this guy's belting out. He's just yeah. straight melodic, but he was like it's,
1: operatic. Almost. It's
0: still got power to it. Right. Um, and I remember hearing them for the first time. I and mean, going, wow, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Cause it's still very much hardcore. Yeah. Uh, so I would say those are probably the early ones. Uh, Sam Black Church was another big one for me too. Cause he, it was melodic, but it wasn't sappy.
1: Right, right, Uh, and
0: then I had my foot also into DC hardcore. I absolutely love bands like Jawbox and Hoover and Fugazi. Yeah, Um, so I was pulling from everywhere, and I think the the proto emo, you know, the dirty word emo, (laughs) I was really into that shit. Sunny Day Real Estate. So that's kind of the world I was sitting in. I was looking at all these influences and going, how do I make it this mine? Right, Uh, and the early showings of that were as a band called Nothing Stays Gold, which. My it's like a six song EP and my voice is just horribly off key. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. But that's me just dipping my foot in going, I want to mix these two elements together. How do I do it? Yes. And I think that that one came off a little too emo, a little too sappy. And then by that time, that band folded up and, and called it a day it was when I started to enter the Killswitch years. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of naturally progressed from all those influences. I p- cherry picked from everything to sort of figure out where I wanted to go with it.
1: Were there any other bands from like that scene in particular in the '90s or local scene that were doing it a way you like? Uh, there was a band from Providence. It wasn't Temperance, was it? No, but we did play shows with Temperance. It's yeah. funny because they were Providence, weren't they? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's
0: funny because to me, you know, and, and you'll probably get this reference being from that generation. I always saw them as sort of like the the jocky sort of rich kids. Um, mm. Temperance to me always felt like the new school. Like I was still kind of in the quote unquote middle school of hardcore where to me that, to me that like turning your hat sideways and like, I don't know, is this the, in Rhode Island, it was a very Southern Rhode Island. Like you came from a rich family. Your parents drove an SUV where I was kind of more into the gritty, like Providence scene that was a little more punk rock. So to me, temperance was like, that's not my style. Oh, um, I love it. I, I
1: love, I just picked up a, a local scene, division from like 1995 and my
0: my, and so both of our bands actually opened for earth crisis at club Babyhead, yeah and uh, my band and their band there was like a a turf war it was a stupid like they had a uh, a gang gang i use the term very loosely (laughs) they had a crew called rise rhode island straight edge that were um, okay tied into temperance and a couple other bands and my band were just we're not into any of that shit we didn't care we just wanted to play music and we were more into like death metal and like just we were different, right? And they 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 had beef for some reason or another, and uh, yeah, I remember disappearing out the back door because like I don't give a shit about cruise, I don't give a shit about straight edge, like I did not not in a bad way, just like you can do what you want to do. I'm not going to tell you how to live, but in Rhode Island at the time, there was definitely scene battles and scene weird shit, and temperance it's- were always on that side of the fence where I'm like, F- rich kids from down south, get out of here, don't
1: care, right, right. I love how every scene had that because I definitely had it too, for sure.
0: It's funny, man. In retrospect, it's so laughable. Yeah, it's silly. You know, I would have mentioned this band from Boston, Kingpin, were definitely a a band that were straight-up melody. um, Turning Point, Flagman it was sort of that, I guess you'd call that the middle school of hardcore where it wasn't old school, it wasn't tough guy, and it wasn't completely like hats turned sideways and backpacks backpacks and spray paint. Like, it was still... Posse hardcore, but had like a newer feel to it. Yeah. So yeah Kingpin it played a huge role. I loved Kingpin.
1: It's funny because hats turned sideways and backs back. I mean, that was just, that's just the way you had to look in New Jersey.
0: Yeah. Oh, dude. Jersey <laughs> was a whole different breed. I remember <laughs> traveling to go show, see shows in Jersey. And yeah, Jersey, New York, and even Connecticut could be potentially dangerous. Like just yeah. weird, clicky yeah. crews and shit.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's definitely people who had like the, the crew element took precedence over the musical element of it, you know? And that's so silly. I think where we really had the problem. So these days, like, uh, you know, now that it's been so established in hardcore and metal, like, has it gone too far? As far as what? Like, are too many people doing it? Are people using it more in like, uh, instead of I'm breaking up a metal song is like I'm trying to present to you like a pop chorus, like
0: yes, one hundred percent.
1: So you think that's <laughs> kind of become like an issue in metal a little?
0: Yes, I do. And to me, I I can tell if I like a song within like twenty to thirty minutes. You know, when the chorus kicks in and, and like you're doing, you're doing something obvious, I there's a part of me that's like I'm done. Right? Yeah. I I listen. If you really love what you're doing and you have passion for it, I commend you. It doesn't mean I'm going to like it, you know? <laughs> right. And I think yeah. that the the big thing about it is why are you doing it? You know, and I ask mm. this all the time because people always ask me, how do I start? How, give me advi- advice, advice, advice. I'm like, look, man, I could give you all the advice in the world on how to do it, how to get management, all those things. But the bottom line is I ask people, why are you doing this? Why are you joining a band? Well, you know, I dig this, I dig that. And if those answers are like, you know, I love you know getting chicks i love you know any of that shit i'm like those are the types of people and the types of bands that they're just putting on the costume to like play the role to get popular right. to do whatever
1: it's just and, a vehicle
0: yeah and those bands are gonna fade away you, they'll come and they'll go for the most part right uh, and those bands that do stay that are of that ilk they tend to change into bands that care more yeah uh, for the most part so I, it's hard for me to like shoot anyone down because bands that may have started terrible with with the wrong reasons may eventually turn into a band that does well and and is creative and does push their style. I think within the first couple of albums, if you haven't experimented and you're successful, you're probably going to stick to that. And if Mm -hmm. you're not and you do switch your styles, to me those are oftentimes the more interesting bands. You know, Bands that after their second or third record flip the script and you're like, yeah, this is, whoa, this is really fucking good. Uh, Radiohead comes to mind, you know. Just they started out as sure. like, a, I would say when they first came on the scene, that song "Creep." I'm like, this is kind of typical. They're just kind of like, I'm miserable. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And then they coming off the, like the 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 Britpop stuff. You're like, yeah, and you're
0: like, yeah. yeah, this is everyone's doing this shit. Blur, like right. eh, whatever. And then you know, okay, computer, and you're like, oh, this band's getting interesting.
1: Yeah, you realize that's the most straightforward song they've ever written,
0: right? So yeah. you never know. As far as the the genre of metalcore and people doing you know, beat down breakdowns and like all that, just like ugh, boring garbage, you got to start somewhere. So some, some of those bands, they suck and they're going to go away and some of them are going to morph into something amazing. So yeah. as long as your heart's in it, man, and you really care and you want to do it, I, I say to people, just go for it. If Love your that. heart's in it, do it. Fuck it. Yeah.
1: Well, it's one thing I wanted to touch on, which I just found, you know, really, um, cool, I guess, while I was doing research for this interview, is the fact that you and Howard now have kind of this unique relationship considering the circumstances, I think. It's almost like like a father and a stepfather who are like cool and buddy-buddy during like a drop-off, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, and uh, I personally love that there isn't like acrimony in the relationship publicly, and it makes the band a little more special to me. And I was kind of curious... Over the years, like, how did you two pull that off? And like, what, what's the nature of that relationship?
0: Yeah. So when I initially um joined Killswitch, uh, it was like you know, and this is not something that's really aired out because they were very private with it. The split was not. Um, everyone wasn't okay with it. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, hey, everything's great. There was definitely a lot of like, I felt like the the new wife, and they're still talking about their ex. Mm. It it was like that for a while, a lot of mm. venting, a lot of stories, right. a lot of like, I had to figure out how to get in with these guys, um, not just as a friend, but in a working relationship and certain things that I would do could potentially trigger them because mm-hmm. they were so triggered by the lead singer syndrome type thing that was going right. on there. Um, and again, I'm careful with how I choose my words because they didn't air out their dirty laundry. Sure. So, you know, for me, Howard was sort of a dirty word. Um, amongst those guys and then you know I was so trying so hard to fill these shoes and sort of be the the everyman to the fans and I just I'm not in any way shape or form the same singer as him like we mm. have completely different styles right he's got a, a, a thicker vocal fold so a, de- a deeper more like soothing sound to his voice. It's a bit more operatic. And I just don't have that. I'm like rough around the edges and bluesy right. and, and kind of like Janis Jopliny, like. <laughs> right. So, right. so there was a real learning curve for me um, physically hmm. to learn how to embody his songs and make them sort of my own. Right. Um, You know, physically as well as mentally, like yeah, how do I sing? even just
1: performance wise. Yeah. Right.
0: How do I sing a song like End of Heartache, sure. a song that I would never write Right. And, totally and like,
1: different key. Like, yeah. Yeah. And
0: like even subject wise, like being so obvious of like, I've got a broken heart, you know, I think right. to me, I, would, I would find yeah. a very more poetic way to say those words. And I think because it's written in a more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, people can understand and latch on to the words better. That's why that song became such a hit. It's written mm. simply. And I'm just not. I'm a complex dude. I come relatable. To a, I guess it's relatable. Yeah. yeah. And I'm I'm a bit more like disheveled, and I'll come to a song with like three pages of lyrics, and Adam's like, "You gotta simplify this shit." <laughs> right. So that's been my struggle. But as time went on, and you know, wounds started to mend with those guys, and Howard started to get back on his feet, and he started with his band, the Devil You Know. At the time, there was kind of a nod of like, "Oh, look, look at this guy. He's he's trying again. Holy shit!" Right. And then, The friendship bonds between all those guys started to mend because it had nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me.
1: Right, right. So
0: Howard and I were just sort of like, we knew each other in passing in the hardcore scene. We played shows together with his band Driven way back. I always knew him as like that awesome black dude that sings amazing in that band Driven into like the guy from Blood Has Been Shed. Yeah, right. That's like this badass.
1: Badass. Into
0: like, yeah, I just know him in passing and he took my job. And then eventually, and then eventually, it was like this guy who's making a comeback. That my friends are now starting to mend their Uh, their wounds. And then it was eventually like, fuck, he's showing up at these festivals. He's standing side stage. I'm so nervous. I'm singing this song that's his, and is he looking at me like this white boy's fucking shit up? Like I don't know how he was viewing me.
1: Strange, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes, it was very anxiety-riven, and I just I was kind of uncomfortable around him. And then finally, it was just like. Fuck this shit, man. This guy like created a legacy with these guys. Without him, I wouldn't even have a job. Mm. He 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 carried the torch. No pun intended with his new band Light the Torch, but <laughs> he carried the torch. He made this band to a whole other level. Right. That I am certain I would not have done for various reasons. Mm. So there's a respect there that I just had to like muster up and like kill my ego and kill my insecurity. And the guys were like, Howard's going to come to this next show. And we want him to come backstage and talk. And like, we want to just hang with him. Yeah. And I'm like, this is good medicine. Let's do this.
1: So it just so happened that you were like in that headspace that you were, you were open to it as well.
0: Yeah. You know, and also just because the vibe and the conversations in, in, in camp and, you know, I knew those guys were ready for it too. So I was like, well, it has nothing to do with me. So fuck me. Why would I say anything like, no, I don't want this. Like, right. get out of here. You think was
1: any part of it that was like when you first replaced him, you know, he was coming from sort of this position of power. And then after a few years, you're kind of more coming from a position of like, oh, look at this guy, like trying to make his bands work again and like maybe a little more empathy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I honestly didn't even think he would come back from what he was going through. I thought Mm -hmm. he might be done. Wow, And the fact that he did and to hear his story, the one that's been told publicly and the one that I've heard from him personally, it's so inspiring. And I have so much respect for him.
1: So how was that first first moment when he came backstage? What was that like?
0: It was, uh, well, here's the thing. So he came in and just said hi beforehand. And I was like, I was definitely nervous. Um, But we went out there and played the show and he was standing in Guitar World, you know, the side of the stage to my right. And I could see him just in the shadows. He was making sure that the audience couldn't see him, okay. which I was like, I was like, dude, that's awesome. Because he easily could have yeah, peeked around the corner and people sure. would freaked out. And then I would have like, right, shit, right. now I got to give him the microphone. He's got to do something or I'm going to be yeah, an asshole. Right, he right, didn't do right. that at all that first time. That's cool. And then when I got off stage, he walked directly up to me, gave me a huge hug. And he said, you killed it, man. You sound great. That Hell was really good. Like wow. very sincerely. And I was like, sure. I was moved by that.
1: That's awesome.
0: So he came up, he followed us up into the dressing room after, and it turned into a good six hour hang. Wow. Of, first of all, hitting it off with him amazingly because we are very similar. Uh, and then him being very self deprecating and apologizing in his own way huh. to the guys and making jokes about some of the flaws and some of the incidences that went on that really bummed those dudes out. Wow. And he was just, he couldn't have been more humble and sweet and from that point on it was just like oh i see you i see what's happening this mm-hmm. is amazing and um yeah we we kind of like partied while well, he he doesn't drink anymore but we kind of partied on the bus and um he put on some some hip hop shit and i'm a huge old school hip hop head and most of the guys on the bus in killswood just are not really into hip hop at all
2: right, right and
0: he put it on on the bus and him and i were singing rapping along and bumming everybody out on the bus and i'm like this guy's my boy yes <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah and then as of the night wound down he's like hey man i got this new project devil you know has, has been kind of fizzed out i got this new project called light the torch i want you to check out this song i thought you might like it and he wow. put his he put his little ear buds on my head and i went up to the driver's seat in the bus closed the curtain the door and i sat and i listened to this song and i I was in tears because i was wow. so impressed by it cool. that first light the torch record to me is just he's like i'm back and i remember walking up to him after and being like dude this sounds like if you were singing for the deftones this is fucking amazing holy yeah. shit and then i got fucking really emotional i was like you know what I really want to and I had a few drinks too. I was like, I really want to tell you, <laughs> you're one of my greatest vocal teachers because I could never live up to what legacy you left behind. And it's been a point of insecurity for me. And um I, you know, I resented you a little bit for it because I'm like this, why is this guy so good? Fuck him for being this good. I can't hold my own with him. And I, I like, I've been struggling for years with it. Right. And he's like, man, fuck you for saying that. And I, <laughs> He's like, when I joined this band, I had to live up to a lavage's breathing. I had to sing your songs and everyone was comparing yeah. me to you. Like, I it's went true. through the same shit, so fuck you. And he, we gave each other a big hug. And he's like, man, it's going to be cool. We move forward with our respective bands. And I was like, well, from now on, whenever you're around, if we're sharing a festival and you feel up for it, you come on stage with us, man. Hell you yeah. sing songs with us. Let's do this. And I was like, as a matter of fact, I'm working on a song for the new record and I've got you in mind. Would you be willing to possibly do guest vocals? He's like, absolutely. Oh, I was yeah. like, well, we need to move forward and let the fans know that this is water under the bridge and it's it's all about the legacy. It's not about egos. Because how many bands do you know where the singer quits or the singer leaves or gets kicked out, the new singer comes in and there's weird animosity, people talk shit. Every oh, yeah, band.
1: forever. Yeah, like Ever.
0: most. most. And, and they decided early on they were not going to be that band. And then when he finally came back into the fold, I was like, let's one-up this. Let's not only not talk shit about each other, mm. let's mend it and bring him on stage and you know tour with him eventually which yeah. before the pandemic that what's what we were doing so um hopefully you know well no not hopefully we will eventually get that tour back together and we will bring Howard on stage to do a few songs and I think that that to me is really just shows who Killswitch is and why yeah. I love those guys so much because it's we're not you know we don't just pretend to be funny good hearted people we actually are
1: and it's like real brotherhood, huh?
0: Yeah, absolutely, family. Yeah, to the point of like, I am no for sure. Those guys get super annoyed with me because I'm <laughs> such an emotional little bitch sometimes. But yeah, uh, I hear you. that's the brotherhood, man. That's right. the beauty of it, you know. And even if we do get into a little bit of a, a fight or I annoy people, eventually the love trickles in via text, and like people yeah. just they, we can't not stay annoyed with each other. It's just it's family. You're right. It's
1: yeah, a, you don't you don't push out your annoying little brother. Yeah. He just keeps annoying you, right? Yeah.
0: Well, no, you learn how to modify. I, You know, it is for me. It's like I just, I learn how to use my words because I'll act out. I'm one of those people. I'll go hide in my bunk and fucking something will upset me. And I'm like, I'm not fucking talking about it. Ah, uh, right. And then eventually, you know, that one night where... You know, they call me uncle that night when Drunkle will come out and have a few drinks with everybody. Then I'll start venting and they're like, dude, why don't you just say something like four days ago about this shit?
1: Right. It's not right. that big of
0: a deal. Right, start right. being such right. an emo bitch about it. <laughs> 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 but, you know, okay. I'm yeah. I'm a cancer sign. I'm an empath. I'm one of those. Sure. dudes. It's, just, it's really hard for me to like not be a total like empaths, you know, sappy dudes. So,
1: I hear you. Yeah. It's
0: a learning yeah. curve.
1: Well, it sounds like um, it's interesting. Is it sounds like your almost like personal arc is very connected to the kill switch one as far as like your own personal development goes?
0: Well, I had to, man. When you're out in the road as much as we were when I first rejoined, like I, I had to. Like it's either that it's sink or swim attitude of like, if I'm going to continue to do this, and you know, and not bitch out and quit the band again, which I promise them I never would do ever again. Right. I've got to learn how to work out my issues. I've got to learn how to like figure out this situation and navigate it, or it's gonna to continue to cause drama. So it forces you to have a comfortable relationship with people you're spending all this time with. Yeah. So it has it has I grew up with those guys early on, and then I'm still continuing to grow up with them, you know, and mm-hmm. that's how a band should be. If you wanna like enjoy your career and not be one of those bands that gets te- separate tour buses. Cause you can't stand each other. <laughs>
1: right?
0: Then you got to learn how to do it. Cause we are band and crew in the same bus. There's no, yeah. there's no separation. If someone on the crew has an issue, it's everybody's issue. We don't do the whole hierarchy of like, Oh, he's just a crew guy. Sure. If you're a part of our crew, you're in. And if you're a problem, we got to talk about it. And if you're yeah. doing good, we celebrate with you.
1: It's so finally. after, after coming, coming over those obstacles, you know, say there was like a younger band who was like, you know, coming up and you saw some of these like maybe problems developing and, and one of the members of the band came up to you and it was like, yo, like advise me, like, what could we do? Like, what do you think is like a good step for a younger band to maybe, um, avoid those pitfalls, uh, the first time around.
0: Communicate. That's yeah. It. Band meetings as, as, as annoying as they are. Right. And in you know, as much as like, I have a hard time with them sometimes too, like, cause I'm not a confrontational person, but mm. if you don't force yourself to do that, you're not going to grow. And there's always going to be dysfunction. Regardless, there's always going to be dysfunction in the band. But if it's a comfortable level of dysfunction that you can deal with and like navigate, you got to do it. I'd say the one, well, the few things that will kill a band is toxicity. So whether that's addiction or, you know, womanizing and like, you know, being secretive and lying, like mm. all those types of things can really pull a band down. Sure. And unless you've got that guy that's like, I'm a piece of shit and I'm not going to lie to you about it. And you're like, fine, go be a piece of shit right. over be there. a piece
1: of shit guy. Kind of, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Right. But when you're
0: a piece of shit and you pretend not to be a piece of shit. Yeah.
1: That's,
0: I think that's when it really can be a problem. And if your addiction is causing, you know, your performances to be fucked up. Those are the types of things you can't let stand. They can't. Mm. You can't, dude, because it's eventually going to explode in your face at right. some point. So communicate, painfully communicate.
1: Yeah. That's kind of part of your new MO, right? Like I saw in some of your videos that, you know, um, the social engagement and making the YouTube videos and the Instagrams is kind of like, it's kind of new for you to to open yourself up and and be into that kind of engagement. Like- um, is it kind of the part and parcel? That's, that's why you see the value in it is, um, is that some form of communication for yourself? Like it's actually personally cathartic or is it all for the the people tuning into it?
0: I think it's both. And yeah. I think that that's a byproduct of, of this pandemic situation. Mm. I made a, so listen, I do not like social media for the most part. I'm uncomfortable with it. I'm a fairly, fairly private person when it comes to the deep stuff. Right. But I have these aha moments sometimes where I just I want to tell somebody. I'm like this is really valuable information for me. And I remember when I was going through the pandemic, it was the first month and a half month or so, I don't remember. But I was like I need to go on camera and talk to somebody about this. I can't I'm just, I'm feeling so isolated. I just need, need to say something. So I did it and then a kind of light bulb went off in my head. I'm like I got to just start engaging again and I reignited my Twitter account and my Facebook page and I just started to become more available to people. And I think part of that was just a necessity for me to like, just vent and talk and feel less alone. Mm. And then it eventually, I saw the impact it was having the messages that I was getting, the comments I was getting. And I'm like, Oh, there's something to this.
1: Mm. You know,
0: I started talking about mental health years ago. Right. Uh, because it really helped me through navigate and continue to navigate my anxiety and depression and, uh, you know, uh, and any musician you know who can be honest has insecurity and like sure when when you air it out and you talk about it and you realize everybody's got a bit of that it just feels like okay yeah i got this i can i can figure this out it's less doom and gloom and potentially less harmful you know cuz i think for me at a certain point in my life talking about it and being transparent about it saved my life right it really did right. um because uh, in those dark moments, I'm, you know, I would hear stories of other people going through dark moments and I'm like, fuck me, like their lives are so much worse than mine. <laughs> what, what is my issue here? You know, why I, do I,
1: I feel this way? I can get way? out of this. Yeah, so right. yeah,
0: it's a combination of everything, but now it, I just feel like it's part of who I am, you know, and with my new podcast, Soak the Fire, which is very much right. about yeah. all of that type of stuff. It's, it's really a part of who I am and it's something I enjoy to a degree because right. I, I do know it's a positive thing that I can do for other people. So it's very reciprocal, though, too. I'm not going to lie. I get something out of it as well. Right. So it's it's just kind of a part of who I am that a part that I allowed myself to expose. And once it was exposed, I realized the importance of it and the necessity huh. of it.
1: Is like a <laughs> therapy or a kind of like Western practices part of your discipline at all?
0: I have been to therapy. I, I haven't continued to go, but I do see a need for that for some mm. people. Um, And I think some people who are stubborn to it or like, oh, well, that's not for me. If you haven't tried it, you don't know. And I think with anything, if you're trying to navigate yourself, um you should be open to all types of things. Yeah, um, You know, I think another thing too is I think people are just so quick to take a pill and not do the work.
1: <laughs> right. No and, shit. And I think
0: that there's a lot of work you can do yeah. that- either will go well with the pill or will eventually replace the pill.
1: And on the other side, there's too many people uh, prescribing pills without demanding the work.
0: Correct. So I think, you know, I talk about this a lot when I talk about mental health is moving physically, like physically Mm. moving is incredible for you. Exercise to me, bicycling, hiking, swimming in the summer, that shit helps so much, especially with my anxiety, which my anxiety usually eventually triggers into depression. Right. So keeping my anxiety at bay is is crucial and a huge part of that is physically moving.
1: Did you mention um, earlier something about uh like doing some microdosing before? Oh yes. Yes, yeah. I was
0: getting I was getting there yeah at the beginning of our conversation um dealing with my anxiety. So yeah, I've been microdosing for I'm going on like maybe 6 years now.
1: Like psilocybin or Yeah,
0: yeah, small nice. amounts of psilocybin and um I've dabbled in other things, but for for legal reasons and just to be careful because of our sure. crazy government, let's just keep it at mushrooms. But um, the <laughs> bottom line with that is is really knowing what you're getting into, um, being wise about it, starting very small because everybody's different. Everyone reacts right, differently right, to this type right. of stuff or even like edible um, marijuana, depending on the strain, mm-hmm. the amount, because, you know, I've had some really bad experiences with edible marijuana, so yeah. I'm very careful with the amounts that I have, mm-hmm. but you know, psychedelics have never, um, you know, in my older years have never s- put me in a bad place. If I'm microdosing, small, we're talking like when I first started to dabble, like one sixteenth of what you would take to like trip, like small right. amounts, right, right, right. And that kills my anxiety. Wow, it gives me a sense of joy. It 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 helps me be more artistic. I'm able to express myself more. I communicate better. Um, and this is not, you know, when, and I'm sure anyone can look up the term and, and realize it's not you getting fucked up. You're not doing this to party. Yeah. You're, you're doing this to sort of help maintain your mental health. And for me, I've used it to be creative and write lyrics and, and, um, you know, occasionally I, I do more cause I like want to have fun out in nature or
1: sure. if I'm going mean, to go to fuck music- you live in the Catskills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let her rip every once in a while. Out there, so I know? do, I do. If I know I've got a,
0: <laughs> if I got, if I know I have a long day of hiking, I'll bring supplies with me so I can, you know, enjoy right. and like yeah. maybe maybe dabble a little harder. But um, that has replaced medication for me. I don't take antidepressants. I don't take anti anxieties. Uh-huh. I'm not on any chemical. I have no chemical dependency. You know, That's minus awesome. minus caffeine, which I absolutely love in the morning sometimes. Sure, but, um, yeah. <laughs> and the occasional drink, which I've moderated completely with that shit. Like, yeah, uh, alcohol used to be a problem for me. And I'm thankful that I was able to moderate and not go completely sober. Yeah. I, co- I admire the shit out of people who go sober. I just yeah. don't ever want to be that guy because I really enjoy a glass of wine with dinner. I really enjoy a sure. good, dark, smoky, mess, or rum after dinner. Like those little things. As long as I keep it to a couple of glasses and I stop, I'm good.
1: Yeah. I think us career musician types, I think we're it's safe to give us a different baseline than the rest of the world. You know, it's like... Considering <laughs> where it could have gone. Yeah. You know, if you're if your baseline is like coffee, you know, a little bit of weed, a drink a couple of days a week, like fine.
2: Yeah. You know, it, it's better yes. than
1: like the alternative, which you know, you've seen like many of our
2: colleagues. You know, what
1: people go through. So if that's yeah. your baseline, that's that's fine.
0: Yeah, it's like going it's funny, we always have this joke, um, you know, Adam and Joel are infamous beer drinkers
2: right. and,
0: uh, you know, Joel going to the doctor and the doctor being like, well, how many beers do you think you have a week? Honestly?
2: <laughs> right. And Joel's
0: like, uh, 200.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and the right. doctor's like, what? what? <laughs> yeah.
0: He's like, no, I'm a musician. It's kind of part of my job. What? Yeah. No, 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 no. But people don't realize that you literally like get thrown booze and beer all the time. And oh you you yeah. can get caught up in that. Like, this is just my everyday thing. Yeah. At one point, I was drinking a bottle of tequila a day, but I wasn't even getting fucking drunk. Right. Like crazy. And to me, I'm like, what's the problem?
1: (laughs) (laughs) What's going on here? Yeah.
0: (laughs) And my health started to decline rapidly. And I'm like, oh, fuck, this is not, you know, you talk to people outside of the touring world and they're like, you're insane. You're going to die. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I had to really just for my health sake, and like, dude, nobody likes a fucking a chronic drunk unless they're like really fun and sweet. But That's if true. you really love that person, you got to at one point be like, dude, you got to slow down. You're, yeah, you're gonna die. Your liver's gonna give out. And it's I've like got friends, an age
1: thing too, right? Like, it is. Just, I've got
0: friends who have been warned and they still don't stop. And you're like, yeah. you, you can't support it. It's like, oh, dude, let's go to the bar after. I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. No,
1: it just gets more dangerous and also kind of like it just gets uglier. It's like. The things that were kind of uh, charming when you're like 28 and wasted yeah. are just not nearly as charming when you're 38 and wasted. No,
0: right? no, it's sad really. But Yeah, um, it gets sadder. Yeah. Everybody's got a journey to go on, you know, and I think that um, I'm just grateful that um, my drug use um, and my, my alcohol use have moderated to the point where like, I'm not just a functioning addict. I'm actually moderate to the point where like, I don't even consider myself to be in that category because I'm not getting fucked up. Right. I'm not losing control. I'm not numbing. I'm not running. I'm not using any of these things as a crutch. Uh, I'm, I'm using, you know, psychedelics is a medicine. Uh, and I'm, I love to sip on alcohol occasionally as like a, social um lubricant or relaxer sure so i think it's a very adult way that i try to live these days when
1: when you were going through that process like did you often or did you at all have sort of like terrifying or alarming moments of clarity like after you stopped numbing
0: uh i wouldn't say terrifying but definitely torturous and um Mm. i think coming to terms with the fact that I hate confrontation and I did a lot of running from it Mm. and because I run from it, I've, I've have a problem of suppressing my emotions and suppressing my anger and frustration and being very much a yes person to a lot of people Mm -hmm. to the point where I start to resent them. And then I eventually will explode and become sick. It'll manifest in physically into me. I will become depressed and then I'll just be at a state where like, how did I even get here? Right so yeah. sort of like picking myself apart and being having a real self awareness and being stone sober for a good 3 months this pandemic you know my girlfriend and i both did a huge cleanse and a fast and oh that's cool yeah and then i just realized wow man i'm fucking grumpy i'm like more <laughs> a lot more grumpy than i ever thought i was and yeah right i almost felt like apologizing to everyone in my life because it just manifests and it's just part of my anxiety and i realize right. anxiety that's been the big, big thing for me is realizing how much anxiety affects a lot of people and they don't realize it's anxiety. Yes. And a lot of people you think are just that angry dude. He's probably, he or she is probably really anxious Yeah, and anxious triggers anger and outbursts. So now I can, I can smell an anxious person from a mile away because I've learned so much about it. Uh, And it's painful because you just have to see yourself in a different light. And I have, And it's something that I'm conscious of now. So I either prevent the the situations from happening, or as they're happening, I'm realizing it. And, you know, to to my girlfriend to people who are close to me, I'm like, oh, I'm doing it, aren't I? You can clip it it
1: a little. Yeah. Yeah. The self-awareness.
0: So it's been very humbling. Um I wouldn't say, you know, shocking or painful, but just like irritating. Like I'm I'm irritated (laughs) at at who I've become. Um, because of my numbing and running and I'm Mm. really happy with the person I'm becoming now because I've faced it and, and sort of like still realize I'm a work in progress, you know? Sure.
1: Well, that's lovely to hear. It's really nice. Um, it's nice to say and actually mean it too. It's crazy. It's awesome. (laughs) Well, I have a little funny distraction here. So normally I do a segment of the show called mystery friend where I fish up an old friend of yours and get a story. Now this won't be a good mystery friend because it would be too obvious, but i wanted to fill you in on something i don't even know you know about the beginning of quill switch so i spoke early on with carl severson yeah owner of ferret records very oh, old carl. friend of mine i mean guy's known me since i was like 14 years old
0: yeah i mean he is he is
1: jersey core to the bone so yeah oh sure. yeah i mean him and <laughs> him and josh Grabell.
0: yes yeah another know, one they,
1: you know they grew up together and like kind of love- you know, I think in hindsight now we can see like how much of the the scene, uh, you know, in, in this whole area, not even just Jersey, that those two kind of had Very, their hands yeah, in. Yeah, they're know?
0: kingpins, dude, and they're Basically. great dudes. I love yeah, both those guys. I
1: agree. So I was asking Carl some early stories about, you know, when, you know, signing Kill Switch to Ferret, hearing you for the first time, you know, apparently Mike had sent him demos before there were even vocals on it. Yeah, and, and Carl was like, "This is great. Get a singer, and we'll talk." You know, <laughs> I guess you were the answer to that. Um, but he said that when we were first pushing the record, remember how Hot Topic was like a big deal for a while, and mm-hmm. you were really trying to get your albums and shirts into Hot Topic because it was like the first, you know, major national brand that was kind of picking this stuff up. Yep. and apparently someone at Roadrunner had advised Carl. If you want Kill Switch and Hot Topic, you send this guy an extra large Los Angeles Lakers jersey and then wrap the Kill Switch CD in the one sheet inside of it. And this is the way you're going to get to Hot Topic. And apparently it worked. And it was Carl and yours both first national chain buy of like 15,000 records or something.
0: That's hysterical. Yeah. That's so funny, dude. So I didn't Carl know that.
1: Lubed him, up, lubed him up with a Lakers jersey, apparently.
0: How funny is that? I mean, that's the way it <laughs> is, really. If you think about the industry as a whole... There's a ton of lubing up that happens to this day to do anything.
1: Oh, so to, much lubing.
0: Because c- yeah. musicians are just bitches of the industry. We're we're the whores, <laughs> and and everybody else is our our pro, our pimps. Man, I know this industry sucks so bad. That's hysterical, man. That's so funny. I didn't know that. I did not know that. No,
1: let's talk more <laughs> about the industry being pimps and whores. I'm into sure. Well, sure. I, I, I could go. I could go off, man. Don't
0: get me fucking started, man. We're
1: the court jesters. Yeah.
0: Hmm. <laughs> they make all the money. We get right. now. We get percentage of percentage of percentage of pennies for for our songs. Oh yeah, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, now we
1: get to <laughs> now we get to like sell our name, image, and likeness on like cameo instead of getting album sales. Dude, or something, cameo
0: right? was a lifesaver for but me. you're loving it's, it,
1: right? Your, your I song?
0: don't. I I I wouldn't say I love it, but I like <laughs> it. I like it because it's helped me connect with a lot of fans, and it's it's made me a decent amount of money, dude. Yeah. When you know, because look. People have these weird misconstrued notions of like rock star, quote unquote rock stars and people in music yeah. being just rich, you know. And I am yeah. not. I am so not. Oh my so god! People think
1: rich. I'm loaded,
0: right? I'm like, you right. Know I
1: play drums, right? Like
0: so. So here, <laughs> yeah. Here's the deal, man. Like, if you're not buying records, guess what? Royalties aren't. They're not really a yeah. big thing anymore. Right. So when I get my quarterly royalty thing, they're gone. By the time I get them, they're gone. They're paying right. credit card bills. They're paying whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when the, the money kind of ran dry during this pandemic, cameo was really, what I would literally be able to buy groceries with my cameos. So okay,
1: awesome.
0: I, and when it first started, I was doing six, seven a day. And now I might do six, seven a week, but my price rate range has gone up because I, when I first started, it was cheap. And now it's like, it's a de- it's a decent price. Right. But, um, yeah, I made some decent money with it. I'm still making decent money with it. It's crazy. And I, I hated it at first. Cause I was like, shit, man, I went from playing in front of thousands of people to like singing Johnny happy birthday. Like fuck <laughs> happened to me.
2: <laughs> right.
0: And now I, I truly see, first of all, the, people will send me reaction videos or send me, you know, a couple of paragraphs about what it did for that person. Uh, and like, when I do them now, I truly think of like, and I, I think it shows in my messages that I do, like I know this is going to make somebody happy. Or I know this is going to make somebody, you know, I mean, I've been a part of like proposing to people, which is so nuts to me that people, wow. I, oh, that's how I want to propose. I'm like, shit, man, me, <laughs> come on. But, um, yeah, yeah. I've truly been a part of people's lives and I think it's really yeah. made my relationship with my fans that much deeper. That's awesome. It's, it's made them more sort of um passionate towards me and it's made me appreciate them even more because of that reciprocation of like, you're paying me, you know, 80 bucks or whatever to like give a three to four minute video that's specifically designed for that person that you want to get their <laughs> attention or, or right. send them love. And that relationship has become a pretty beautiful thing. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. That's nice to hear. So I heard you mention, you got to take me behind the curtain on something. Um, I heard you mention, you were talking about Motorhead in something. Might have been an Instagram post. I don't even remember. Yeah, Instagram post. Yep. Talking about Lemmy. But you said, in quotes, that Motorhead had no crowd sing-along bullshit tracks. Right. Jesse, what's happening out there? <laughs> oh wow. I think you know. Um I've yeah, never ba- used I certainly have never used this. I'm only assuming. Yeah. But what's going on out there? Take me behind the curtain.
0: I mean, this has been happening for a long time, but um I remember first seeing it. I'm I'm so not naming names, uh, but I remember <laughs> first seeing it behind a drum set, seeing a Pro Tools rig mm-hmm. that was open with a computer. And I remember walking by during the sound check of a band that, you know, was headlining and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Why is there a recording program up in?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I heard them press the space bar and it was like a guitar solo. And I was like, what? what? Then I heard them press the space bar and it was the chorus of the song. It's <laughs> being sung. And I'm like, Oh my fucking God, this is really happening. Mm. It opened my eyes. And then after that moment, I realized there's a lot of bands, a lot of bands who either no longer sing their choruses, like the melodic parts that are usually kind of shaky live, right. and they sound perfect, Right, it's, it's because they're not singing them. They're lip syncing amazingly. And this is metal. This is full on metal. We're not talking about pop bands, we're talking about metal bands. Um, and it even got as bad as like, you know, the solos and then... The crowd sing, there was one band that was sound checking crowd sing-alongs and I remember being like, that's fucking cheating to a whole other level. Yeah. You're making your shit sound even better and like people applauding and you're filtering it through.
1: So they're literally putting a crowd group sing-along sample running through the speakers while they yes. play. Yes. For fuck's sake.
0: And I remember seeing it and then seeing it work because the audience right. is naturally It's, it's their herd mentality. Yeah. One person does it and you're like, oh, we we're all going to, this is the part we all sing along. And I just remember like thinking in the back of my head, well, first of all, there's a certain amount of brilliance to it, but there's also like fuck you for doing that. Yeah. Because we're just we're manufacturing this and like the amount of work, pain and suffering, literal blood, sweat, and tears that I've had to navigate my voice Mm. and Mm -hmm. to live a certain way, to be able to produce somewhat of a semi in key tone means that I don't I don't have a lot of fun on tour. I do a lot of sleeping. I do a lot of not talking. Right. Just all this shit that I have to do to like yeah. maintain my instrument with the extreme amount of singing and growling and screaming right, and sitting, right, you know, right. I'm doing. Sure. And then I'm seeing these bands and said singer of said band going out and going, getting hammered and just doing blow and like doing all this shitty th- And the next day he sounds like a fucking songbird. And I'm like, you're not even fucking singing on stage anymore. Yeah. Fuck you. You're cheating the fans. And, like, the fans have no idea. They're just having fun with it. And it's like and they're cheating it just, you. It's kind it of felt, like, yeah. Ugh, I fuck. I it made me so annoyed and so angry. And now, like, it's become such a norm. The moment I see it, I roll my eyes. I'm like, all right, fair play. Fine. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm not going to wow. fucking judge you for it.
1: Um, Give me a percentage. Like, say you go to, like, I don't know, fuck, like, Nova Rock or something. And there's, like, eight bands on the main stage. What are we talking? Like, half? I'd say,
0: I'd say at least three or four of them are doing it. Fuck. Yeah. It's,
1: you know what it reminds me of is like is like what the clean baseball players were saying during the Barry Bonds Sammy Sosa era of baseball. When they're like they're like, it's so obvious they're doing it, and it's so obviously helping their performance. The people who want to stay clean are now suffering as a result.
0: Absolutely. Because yeah. we
1: can't keep up by doing this naturally, and you're gonna force you know, bands who want to do it naturally to have to like step up the, hey, you're in festival land now. Now you need this right. stuff to survive.
0: Yeah. And it makes the fans go, wow, this band sucks. You know, like they listen to them right. live. They're they're like, they're flawed. It's like, dude, live performances are supposed to be a bit flawed. That's why they're called live performances. You're not always going to be on. And I think that's the magic of it too, right? I mean,
2: right. Yes.
0: if you know, I've had nights off. I mean, I've had plenty of them, really, where my <laughs> voice is just not great. And instead of hiding it, I'm transparent with it. I'm like, hey, guys, it's, I'm a little rough on the edges. I'm going to do my best, but during this part, let's all sing along, you know, yeah, and we'll get you guys to be a part of it. Yeah. And then like those so- shows are fucking magic. And people will be like, I remember that night you you're, you were off and you told us and we all helped out. Like, what a great moment that was. Like, that's the fucking match you don't want to lose with live music and live performance. That's right. And then those days when you are triumphant and your voice sounds greater, your instrument sounds greater, we're all, we're all firing on all cylinders and there's no help from anybody except for your own skin and bones and soul. I, I just, I adore that about music. I adore the flaws. I really do. Um, and I'm proud to say, you know, nothing I've ever done. We never do that shit ever, yeah. ever. I mean, the most we'll do is like, you know, an intro to a thing where it's obvious we're not playing it. We're standing there like, or coming on stage and it's the beginning of my curse. You know, like little things like that are cool. They make the show cool yeah. or or segue music. That's sure. cool too. But sure. when you're just straight up lip syncing on stage, I just don't, I don't get it, man. That's not why I got into this shit. And as no. a fan, if I knew a band that I loved was doing that, I would be so fucking bummed.
1: I think I got a pitch for you, Jesse. How about we start a website, kind of like a who's hot and who's not, you know, and we really expose the bands playing clean.
0: Oh, my God. Like,
1: these guys are playing clean. Go see them. These guys are playing dirty. They're on steroids.
0: You could you could make that a part time job, dude. I really could, man. (laughs) I hope someone uh...
1: listening. Can you can you urge like some nerdy Killswitch fan out there to really, really spearhead this project? I I think the world needs it. Yeah. I'm
0: willing to bet there's probably somebody out there who's doing something similar to that already.
1: Good, I'll support it. Let me know what your. But yeah, what the next time you go see your favorite, fundraiser pages, I'll, yeah, the, the next
0: time you go see your favorite band, if you're standing close enough, watch the singer's mouth.
1: Right. Watch very closely,
0: or if they're they're doing this like huddle over, like
1: I'm really emotional thing, and you can't see my face. Oh, right, right, right. Be careful! <laughs> oh, because, my body's contracting yeah. because I'm uh, so emotional. Yeah,
0: I'm so yeah. into this, but you can't see. I'm actually just fucking uh. lip syncing. Wow. Yeah, I saw a lot of it. I still see a lot of it. And I'm like, it bothers me, but it bothers me less now because it's become so commonplace.
1: Well, thanks for taking me behind the curtain because honestly, I've seen it, but I've only seen it for like, for pop.
0: Yeah, it's funny too. You don't really see it in punk rock either because I've been to a ton of punk shows and we've played festivals where we share the stage with punk bands. And I know people that tour in punk bands. And that's the beauty of, I would say, a good chunk of punk rock is it's real. It's real. That's the essence of it where with metal it's always been about showmanship mm. and you know certain metal bands it's you know the whole spinal tap thing like sometimes way over the top but that's kind of part of it right and unfortunately the that's become another part of it the mm. the desire and the need to be perfect live and the audience's expectations being so much higher now because of that manufactured perfection and that's the same thing with albums you know you could say the same thing with albums man like that's a hard style, man. You can do so much in the studio that makes right, you sound perfect. Right. And then you go to d- duplicate that live and you're like, fuck, that's really hard to do every night. God right. damn it. Right, I'm right, I'm right, definitely right. Um, part of that crowd because we want to put out records as good as possible. So I do like 30 takes of this thing to make it sound fucking great. Right. And then trying to duplicate that live every night. I'm like, I fucking hate myself for doing that on the record. God damn it. Sure.
1: Right. Yeah. But
0: that's slightly different than faking it, you know?
1: Yes. I would say, I would say it's
0: all part of the, uh, the uh, momentum towards, you know, ones and zeros and digital things taking over and people expecting things to be perfect now. Right. Right. It's it's exhausting for me.
2: Well, you kind of like you, you laid it out there before when you said that it, it kind of it becomes the norm. Unfortunately, you know, and like, yeah, and the younger
0: generation doesn't know any better. They're just right. like, they don't. Everything they sounds don't know. perfect all
2: the time. I'm. I am a few years back, I spent some time working with, uh, I shall not name names, but a very well known metal uh, engineer, and I realized like he they should have just used a drum machine because yeah. yep. the drummer was like he would say, okay, this is the verse, and I'm gonna. I'm just going to loop it and he would just loop the verse until the producer told him to stop. Then they would grab two bars and he would then those edit those two bars to perfection on the grid. Yep. And say, and then he go, "Okay, this is the uh transition, this is the chorus." And so he was just using these tiny little pieces of the live performance, editing them. And I'm yeah. also like, you know, I'm also a big advocate of like do, Studio and live are two different things like you have to do things in the studio in order to give like you know the the sort of the the feel of a live performance so like mm-hmm. studio tricks I'm all good with that, but I think my problem was i th- was that like I knew that these bands had a lot of fans out there who would be mortified to find out mm. that the band had used a drum machine. But right. essentially they were doing exactly the same thing as you And they would have yeah. saved it probably would have taken half the time to just it would have taken half the time. Machine. It would have sounded yeah. probably better. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then it's sound replacing too, which is a huge thing with drums. Right. Well that's right. they were also this,
2: doing that on top of yeah. it. So it's like the yeah. snare
0: you used isn't good enough. And so we're just gonna put this it's like you're taking the human element out of it completely. Yeah, and yeah. you know, with with metal, people don't bat an eye because metal's supposed to be so tight and precise. But you know, I listen to old school like '90s death metal, and there's flaws everywhere, and mm-hmm. I fucking love that shit. Yep. Yeah, but I'm a punk man. I legitimately love listening to old punk rock where the the drum machine sounds like a cardboard box being kicked down the street. Like <laughs> that shit to me gets me going because it's right. like, yeah, that's that's fucking raw shit right there. Right. Mm. And I think, I guess it depends on the type of music, but I look at early like early metal shit and I I don't know, man, like Death and Metallica. And if that shit was perfect, yeah, it would have knocked your face off, but there's a magic to the flaws. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think it also makes- There's some movement. There's some minutia there, you know?
0: Yeah. And then, you know, you hear a a crack of a voice because of emotion or you hear somebody- slightly off key going, sliding into key, like, and then you get chills. Like I, all yeah. that shit to me is magic. And if you take the magic out of it, it's just, it's again, the ones and zeros, man. It's just, it's a bummer. Well, the good is. thing
2: about it is it leaves open the opportunity for somebody to come along and do that and make the mistakes and leave them in the record. And all of a sudden people are like, why does this sound different than yeah. every other metal record? You know? Yeah, so. true.
0: And then those people who do play incredible live without all that shit, those are the types of people that I admire so much because I know there's there's a good chunk of those musicians where I'll watch every night on tour. I'm like, how do you do this every night and sound so fucking good? Who's
1: like a who's like a singer out there that that you know doesn't sample and you just listen to and you're like, fuck, like that's just so good
0: there's so many dude jeez yeah. um i would say that off the top i had the two that have i've had moments where i look at them like how is uh, uh michael from opeth uh, okay. i remember seeing yeah. opeth do i've seen them so many times but his transition from growling to singing and then his pitch is just amazing Uh and i saw him on an off night where he's like oh tonight i'm not doing so good i'm gonna do the best i can and yeah and i remember like halfway through it's like fuck you you're not (laughs) off jesus christ (laughs) is so good and then like you know (laughs) chino's had his uh chino from the deftones has had his moments in his career where he you know would drink too much and he would sound off but like i've seen him on some nights where he does these high melodic vocals and these high screams and they're just pitch perfect. And he's yeah. just, he's hanging out. He's just hanging out doing his thing and he's going nuts on stage. Right. And he's not, he's not missing a beat. And I'm like, the, people just, some just have that natural ability.
1: Yeah. And he's kind of got that like mellow vibe ar- about it too. Right. Where it's yeah. Like, he
0: just makes it look easy. Yeah. It uh, makes it look for, easy. For me, it's, uh, if you were to see us on tour, I would say, you know, say it was a, a four week tour, you're going to get about seven or eight performances out of me that are Great and the rest there's going to be holes. Right.
1: <laughs> it's just, I'm just
0: not that good. I you know, and I don't and I don't make any bones about it because everybody's different, man. Everybody's different. You you might go enjoy the show and not see a flaw, but in the back of my mind I'm like, I fucked that part up. I fucked that part up." Oh, I Joel, uh, Adam's too drunk tonight. He fucked that part up.
2: Right, like, right.
0: We're just not that band. We're not perfect, and you know what? We're never gonna be perfect. And I've just hey. learned to. I've just learned to accept it.
1: Yeah. Listen, man. You go and see Bob Dylan. Some nights, <laughs> it's, un, some nights it's unlistenable. <laughs> yeah. Some nights it's the greatest show you ever seen. But that's yeah. why you go. You know. Yeah. That's why you buy the tickets. so you can actually have some excitement in your life. We need that. Yeah. We need that in the world. And it, well, makes
0: the, it makes the good, good nights that much better. And then the bad nights like,
1: meh, okay, next show. That's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Well, Jesse, that was awesome, man. Thanks so much for, oh, for coming you, on man. with us and giving us all this time. That was rad. Yeah. You know,
0: this is the kind of shit that I revel in because it just feels like I'm hanging out with dudes having a conversation. That's the best. I love yeah. that shit. Yeah. It's so much better than just like, tell me about the new record. <laughs> hey.
1: I know. I mean, I always put those questions in just in but it's case. Natu- it's natural, though. You it's, know? Not, it's not so, forced. Some of those... Uh, listen, some people aren't easy to talk to either. So you kind of have... True. You know, sometimes you have to be, so how did you do this? Because they don't have anything else to say. And I also, that- I saw how much you mentioned bloodlet in press, oh, which is love. like, thank you for... Preaching the gospel to the younger generation of bloodlet. You
0: know, this is this is a good closing uh, way to, like, promote this band because they they were the first band that I would follow around and annoy. Nice. You know, I, I would follow them to Connecticut. I would follow them to upstate New York, you know, as this young kid. I'm like, oh, and they were they had a moment, too, where, I, the, you know, they were doing the seven inches they hadn't even put out a CD yet. I remember I used to bug the shit out of Scott, the, the lead singer. Yeah, I used yeah. to write him fan letters, dude. And uh, I remember sitting next to him at the living room in Providence, and I was like, "So how you guys doing? Like, just trying to be, you know, not a total fanboy." And he's like, "Oh, we're thinking about signing to Victory Records." And I was like, "No, no, don't, <laughs> don't, right. dude. You guys don't sell, don't sell out, don't sell out, yeah, man. Yeah. Fuck." So I had oh, one of those right. moments with those guys and then they signed a victory and blew the fuck up and yeah, right, blew up yeah. in our scene. But In our scene, yeah. They're a band that just gets so overlooked. Yeah. When you talk about modern metal or modern music, they were the first band to do the slow, yeah, chug, chuggy, sort of like stoner hardcore. Yes. And I remember like...
1: They took like that neurosis thing like into hardcore kind of.
0: Yeah. And yeah. Uh, to this day, for my for my sort of... For my money they were one of the better bands out of that whole like whatever was happening with hardcore and, and becoming metallic and different they were doing something so different from yep. everybody else yep and you know those first couple of records um you know was it I don't even know how to pronounce that one and
1: Theogen I, right that one and then
0: the the eclectic with all this the right, seven inches right masterpieces yeah, absolute beautiful. masterpiece so fucking good man. I
1: still oh. listen to them I do. Oh yeah, yeah, dude.
0: And it's funny because I'll I'll put it on. So I'll, every once in a while, I DJ like a metal hardcore thing on the road, and I take pride in playing bands like that, or Rorschach, or Dead. Yeah, Guy. like sure. the bands that I, I know know started and changed the whole thing. And I'll play them for our audience. You know, who come to an after party, and I'll DJ. And every single time I play Bloodlet, people run up to the booth and like, "What was that?" Yeah, nice. I'm like, I'm like Bloodlet, dude fucking get on that shit
1: but <laughs> well, yeah respect i'm so glad that you're you're passing it on it's nice to hear
0: yeah, yeah and the same breath integrity a uh, dead right? guy rorschach sure. kiss a goodbye mm. all of those bands uh you couldn't talk about modern hardcore or even modern metal without them they changed That's right.
1: everything 100 percent, love it all right jesse well have a great rest of the day hope you enjoy the forest seems like a nice day out
0: Oh, yeah. I'm going to go jump in the stream, man, and oh. hopefully avoid all the bears out there. We'll see what happens.
1: Ah, man, I love that someone somewhere is going to listen to Bloodlet for the first time after this.
2: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know? yep.
1: He made me happy listing off those bands that he said he DJs at his shows, especially Dead Guy. Oh, yeah. I was in... I mean, that was a New Jersey band. They were on Eerie, right? uh, Maybe eventually they did. They did go to victory and then a couple of the guys moved to Seattle and they turned into kiss a goodbye, but it's fairly well established, you know, especially by people like Ben Weinman, like Dillinger escape plan, like botch, you know, a lot of those bands just like don't exist without that guy, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh. I think I told the story recently. One of the first club shows I ever got to play was in 1995 opening for dead guy at the down under in new Brunswick. Sweet. And, uh, and that was the show where I wore such big pants, my big skater pants at the time <laughs> I started the concert. My pants went over my kick drum mallet, uh, disallowing me to strike. the head because it was in my jeans and then in an effort to kick it away half of my drum set like fell off the stage and had to stop. This is literally like the first song of the first (laughs) real club show I ever played. So you know and I Uh, still got to make music a living. Lesson out there for you kids you know. Make your mistakes early on that's the lesson. Yeah don't let your chubby awkward
2: 14 year old moments stop you from your dream you know (laughs) exactly dream big well that's that's shows you know that's the pros the pros keep going man they puke on their sleeve and keep going that's right (laughs) hashtag strive for greatness
1: (laughs) (laughs) but that was awesome talking to jesse that was a super comfortable conversation just like felt like we were in a. In the back of his house in Woodstock, like over a fire, just chilling.
2: Yeah, well, it's funny for me to hear him talk about all these like Providence venues that, you know, I played like a generation prior, like right. Babyhead and Lupo's and I think he even mentioned like maybe Living Room. I can't remember, but
1: he did mention Living Room. But so you knew this club. I, I had heard in other ven- interviews he was talking about this club, Babyhead. That was a pretty. Yeah. That was like what the CBS of
2: Providence, kind of. Sort of, yeah. It was kind of like what was the guy's name that booked it? It was a cool guy that uh, booked a lot of bands. But yeah, we used to go up there all the time and play Babyhead. In fact, the Goops' first record, the Blackout record, the photo on the on the cover is is taken at Club Babyhead. at like a, no shit. a weekend of fucking debauchery. Um, Love that. We used to go up there and play with Boss Fuel, friends of ours. And, uh, yeah, we'd have to fucking wild weekends.
1: Yeah, Providence is a pretty wild town. Yeah,
2: it's fun. It's, a, for sure. it's an
1: interesting place. It's like a weird melting pot of different things.
2: Yeah, it's exactly what it is. It's got, yeah. like, strong blue collar. Yes. And then all those fucking
1: students. It's And yeah. then that old, like, the old down Providence Italian thing. Like, yeah. they got all that mafia dude. shit there, too. Buddy Cianci. It, dude,
2: that's a whole story. Yeah, the anti years. Yeah, um, I only know it from f- from Family Guy. Ugh, it's so, dude. I I just I read the book a year, a couple of years ago, and because uh, I've, I mean, I experienced some of it firsthand. What's
1: the What's the Cliff? What's the Cliff's notes? He was just like a crazy
2: yeah, man. He basically like he he essentially like kidnapped the guy that he thought was screwing around with his wife with like the chief of police. <laughs> kidnapped okay. him and tortured him with a cigar. Didn't, what? didn't go to jail for that. He eventually went to jail, uh, like everybody, for like tax evasion or something. Wow. And then started his re-election campaign while he was still in prison. Yes. And came out and then using mob money, completely revamped Providence, like the uh. downtown. Like when I was there, the downtown from like 5 o'clock Friday until 7 a.m. on Monday was like... It was like the Living Dead. There was oh nothing God. there. Nobody. Yeah. There was no traffic. There was like three bars that were open. Shit. Like you just. You, there was nothing there. You didn't go down there. It was dead quiet. Yeah. Um, and uh. he really revamped that whole downtown and made it sort of like very vibrant. So I, I mean, who knows? That might have happened anyways. But he's. It's a weird, it's a crazy story but yeah. See, I hear stories like that and you know sometimes I, mean, I
1: get so tired of America and the way we do things. And then I <laughs> hear stories like that and I'm like,
2: "You know what? I love this country." It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I've maybe said this before, but Rhode Island is like Rhode Island is like a rogue state and it always has been. Like Rhode right. Island was you know, like a haven for pirates, up until <laughs> right. like yeah, yeah. Past, past. They didn't want to join. They didn't want to join the union. They didn't want to be part of the United States because they were like they were really they were true independents, and they yeah. Just, um, but they also were like, they were the New England sort of headquarters of the um, the Underground Railroad. Oh. yeah. Interesting. They were. I mean. In a lot of ways, Rhode Island kind of really represents like the spirit of America in sort of its most like, not debaucherous, but sort of its sort of extreme, like, you know, like personal freedoms and things wow. like that. And, uh, or respect. It's, 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 yeah. I mean, when I was there, dude, it was still the Wild West. Like the 80s in, in Rhode Island, like you couldn't park your car on the street overnight, right? Oh, but there kind. was no excuse yeah. why. They didn't say, oh, we have to do street cleaning. They right. just was like, there's no parking on the streets. At the same time, the mob owned like 60% of all the parking garages in, in the city. <laughs> but the, So just so obvious. The, the best part about it was that they didn't like, the government didn't even feel they needed to like make an excuse that there was going to be street cleaning or whatever. It's just like no parking on the streets overnight. Are you going to Why? <laughs> Cause I told you so. It's so exactly. <laughs> it's so true, dude. Cause that's fucking why.
1: <laughs> now go to the garage. Yeah. Oh my god. I love it. So good. I uh it's funny too, because even but even I started playing in the living room. That was probably my first like Providence venue. I became uh, you know, tight with. Yeah. And I, I probably played there the first time in like 07, 2007. Yeah. and still there's nothing to eat around there. There's nothing to like, you can't walk around when you're (laughs) hanging out the living room. Like there's nothing going on. Like still a little crazy. I actually, uh, I actually hit someone in the face with a drumstick at that venue. Whoa. Yeah. I made a mistake. It was a small show. Gaslight, I think was playing with fake problems and there was maybe seven or eight people in the front. Most of which I knew. And one kid was using his phone This is pre-iPhone, so it's, like, still when I noticed. Right. And, you know, we just finished a song, and I'm going to fuck with him a little bit, so I whip a stick to the front (laughs) of the stage to kind of, like, knock his phone out of his hand. And what do I do but go about four feet to the left and Uh, just crack this woman, Sophia, (laughs) in the face with a drumstick, just smunch. (laughs) And i like, of course, I immediately get up. I'm like, oh my God, I'm Like, are you okay? I'm so sorry. Blah, blah, blah. She took it like a champ, luckily. Uh, and now, uh, ancillary story, Sophia is the uh, half owner of The Tasty in Philadelphia with Kay Hiltz. Whoa.
2: Yeah. So she survived and thrived, luckily, after our little incident. I'm going to tell you the best. I'm going to be really quick here. I'm not going to stretch this out. But here's the best living room story that I have sure ever. You want heard. to
1: do this at an outro? It's
2: it's yeah. We'll, I'll do it. It's very quick. Okay. So the guy, I think it was Randy Hine, was the name of the owner. Funny guy, little sort of roly poly. Anyways, this was really early days. The Ramones are playing at the living room. Whoa! And I think it's either before or after the show. They're hanging out in the dressing room, and Randy's like back there trying to bro down with the Ramones, and they're like, Randy. Get, can you get us some more beer? Like, they, they give him, they hand him the picture. He's like, sure, sure. He keeps talking. Somebody asks him a second time, Hey, we really could use some more beer. Randy, like, goes to the bathroom or something. He's talking, he comes back. He forgot to get the picture of the beer. Like, Joey hands him a full picture and says, Hey, Randy, you want some beer? And Randy takes the picture and realizes it's piss. Oh, no. And says, Let me get you guys that picture of beer. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
1: Say so he'd been pissing in the empty pitcher? Yeah, they'd asked him several
2: times <laughs> to fill the pitcher and when he yeah. when he failed, they finally filled it themselves while he was out of the dressing room. Wow. All right. That's Powerful. my that's my that's my living room story. That was before my time, but I heard that's it from somebody that worked there, so.
1: That's a good
2: one. Anyway, let's do the socials here. We got Jesse's, got a lot of them. Um, you can catch up with him at Jesse underscore D underscore Kill Killswitch Engage. Those are both Instagram. Uh, his podcast, Stoke the Fire, is pretty awesome, and you should check that out. Uh, catch up with him at I Against I on Twitter, and of course, KS Official. If you haven't listened to Killswitch Engage do that.
1: Yeah, and, and it's cool. The Times of Grey stuff is like a nice little break. It's definitely a different style, a little slower and oh, a little yeah. little broodier. So like if you like Jesse and you like what he's doing, uh, you'll definitely like this group. Dude, too. I'm going to go listen to
2: his ambient shit like
1: right now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I want to hear the fucking Catskills record. I want to hear yeah. what
2: kind of what ambient record.
1: I know. I know. Let's hit the band camp. Let's go. All right. We'll see you All next right. week, everybody. See Thanks ya. a lot.